Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Erica. And this week we are talking about testing midterms. And Lori has been crazy busy at that. So expound for us. <laughs> so you're going to pick my brain about it? Because <laughs> I am the expert. No, I'm, I'm going not. to be an audience to your wisdom. I'm not the expert. But for some reason, as soon as the leaves fall off the trees, I'm like, oh, we should be doing some midterm assessments. Like my brain goes that to is that not group. inspiring. <laughs> that does not inspire anything in me. The leaves, kids, let's take a foliage ride and we can test you. <laughs> no, no. As soon as you got to wait for the leaves to fall. So like okay. now we need something else to focus on because now it's like the trees are getting bare and it's like, yeah, there's a little bit of yellow and a little bit of red still stuck out there. But it basically looks right. like, you know, a fall in the south right now, which is just not very appealing. So it's like nature is in the middle of its midterms right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. It's like they're going to sleep, like getting ready to fall asleep. And they're like, this is so boring. Why are we doing this? <laughs> oh, goodness. That and, Good. you know, the vest gets out. You know, your vet, you pull out your vest. And this week in classes, um, I started wearing a beanie because I wear my beanie pretty much through the entire winter because I'm always cold. <laughs> And uh, so I show up to class on, you know, via Zoom and there's my camera and, and I'm wearing a beanie. And uh, it's like, guys, I'm just cold. All right. And we joke about it because like, oh, she pulled up the hat. So it must be getting cold. You know, like I pulled out my hat. So I got my hat and I got my vest. And I think I guess I get flashbacks of like being on the campus, you know, like on the university campus and walking across campus and being like, oh, I got to get ready for my test. You know, like, I don't know. It's just like mm -hmm. this, it all kind of comes together. And in the end of October, usually kind of makes me yeah. think of it, even though truth be told, your midterms in school tend to come at the beginning of October. So I'm not sure. I think I'm just like, no way, wait for the leaves to fall. Now we'll look at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's not usually something you jump right into with gusto, is it? Uh, well, it depends on who you are. Um, yeah. I happen to, to, I have enjoyed test taking. I've enjoyed giving tests because I'm a very orderly, you know, I'm a left-brained person. So I like the order. I like being able to see where I'm at. Like I've been working on this for a month and a half now. You know, I want to know like, yeah. how am I doing? You know, how do I weigh up? What do I need to focus on to finish out the semester strong? That sort of thing. Um, right. And I have some kids, some kids who, who like that and other kids who are like, uh, no, thank you. No, thanks. They have no interest in it. And that's fine. They don't, they don't have to. And, and I mean, at the same time, your kids are younger, so you probably haven't really ever given any midterms. And I haven't really given any, what you might consider traditional midterms. Like in math, I, I wrote a lot of midterms this week. I wrote a pre-algebra, an algebra one, a geometry, an algebra two, an intermediate algebra. Um, I think that's it six was that five or six i can't count anymore that's too much math i didn't, um, I didn't know i was supposed to count <laughs> good <laughs> it was a lot <laughs> anyway so i wrote all these and i kept thinking like why don't i have these don't i give a midterm every year but what normally happens and especially with your own kids is i'll pull out like a blank piece of paper and i'll open the book and i'll write like 10 problems that i think fit what we covered the first two months of school and then i give it to them yeah. on that paper and then you know we file it and i never see it again and um, so I don't have a, a copy of it. So when I had to give it to people who had asked for one, I was like, oh, I don't actually have any of these written down digitally. So 
that's sort of a problem. But it's okay. I I've got them all written now. I'm working on the answer keys. And I guess the question is like, why do we even do this? You know, one thing is I want to back up. Before I gave the midterms out, I kind of shared with my parents some of the goals of assessment. Like, why are we even giving our kids midterms? Like, we're homeschoolers. We're supposed to be going against mm-hmm. the grade, you know, and and doing things differently. And for all intents and purposes, we do. We do things differently. But I do not recommend giving your um, elementary student or your middle school student a midterm assessment. Like, there's really no reason. I, you should right. be checking in with your with your younger kids on a regular basis that you're asking them like, hey, you know, how was your reading this week? What are you reading about? Tell me about this. You know, tell me about this thing. Like if, if in science they're talking about um, acids and bases, you should be able to say to them, you know, tell me about an acid. Tell me about a base. And they should be able to have a conversation with you about what they were learning about in whatever whatever subject they're studying. Right. Whatever. Well, you're always reviewing. You're constantly exactly. reviewing with younger kids. I mean, we, I do it all the time, but I tend to do it sporadically. I mean, our math curriculum, for example, like at the end of each chapter, you know, so there'll be like four or five lessons, then there's a review already there for you. So it's like, oh, you're going to review this now. But we do that with every subject. I mean, when we sit down in the morning and it's, it's you know, Monday morning and the last time we were reading through Genesis in particular was Friday. We sit down and it's like, okay, so what's going on right now in the story? I mean, we all need that. You're constantly reviewing the material with them. And what we're doing with your younger kids is we're testing for mastery, right? We're testing to see if they retain mm-hmm. the information, if they understood the information. And then we're moving on because we're building on that foundation, right? We're, education isn't just like checking boxes off, even though that's what it looks like in my bullet journal, you know, is that I checked off boxes. Um, but in real life, right. what we're doing is we're sculpting. It's more an art and it takes time and it takes attention to detail and it takes all of these other things, you know, that we need that come together. And it's a much longer process, but it also means that we don't want to be hounding our kids for facts. Like my, you know, my 10 year old may or may not remember the year that the Revolutionary War started. OK, mm-hmm. he might remember that year, that actual date. Um, could he tell you extensively what the Revolutionary War was about? Yes. Okay, so what right. I'm looking for when I work with my kids is, do they have an understanding of this that they could have a conversation with somebody else about it, right? Or would they be right. completely in the dark about it? Um, so I don't recommend just being like, here's a midterm. Like, I don't hand my 10-year-old a, a paper that says, you know, what year did the – the, I almost said, what year did the War of 1812 start? Which would be hilarious. <laughs> what year, what year did... Great. If you want to do that one with your elementary school students, go for it. That's right. That's actually just a test of if they can read at that point. <laughs> <laughs> can your child read? So anyway, um, you know, if you want... I don't hand them a paper and ask them these things. Instead, you know, I say, oh, you're reading this book. You know, what is, what's going on here? What's that? Or... I, my kids mm-hmm. all do recaps, and we have consistent habit things that we put into our homeschool for checking for mastery. Um, right. With that being said, when your student gets into pre-algebra and higher, so like eighth, seventh, eighth grade, you know they're starting to do a more formal study of a subject. And when by the time they're in high school, you actually have to assign grades for their work. Now, right, <clears throat> a grade is a comparison tool. Now we we just spent 
13 years of our child's life trying to tell them not to compare themselves to everybody else around them. And then we get them in high school and we're like, oh, you got to see. And they're like, what's that mean? And we're like, well, that means you're in the middle of everybody else who's your age. And it's like, why did you just compare them to everybody else? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I thought we were trying not to do that. Why are we doing that? Um, because it's a necessary evil, much like government um, grades are a necessary evil. Um, they are there in order for a college board who's looking at admissions to be able to say, oh, yeah, they they um, they compare with all the other people we're looking at applications for in these areas. So it gives them that right. comparison. Um, I don't put a lot of weights on on transcripts. I don't I don't think that the grades on the transcripts make or break your child's college admissions. I think that their college entry essay, their interview, their if they do a standardized test, you know that's much that's different because grades on the transcript are subjective. So you have to give the grade. But to some extent, it's subjective. Like one of the things that we give is I actually give a grade to my students for participation. So my high schoolers mm-hmm. get a participation grade, which in regular high school, you got a participation grade, right? Like 10% or 15% or 20% right. of your grade was participation, right? If you came to class right. and you showed up and you asked questions, you got 100 in participation as a student. If you're a good student, you got 100. If you're a bad student, you didn't. Like that's, it was totally up to the teacher what you got. Well, that doesn't change. Even though we don't have a classroom, our students have attitudes. They have Mm -hmm. ways that they conduct themselves. They have complaints and they get a grade for participation based on, did you show up and do the work and actually participate in the learning process? Right. Mm -hmm. So I do actually include a participation grade, but that's so that's kind of the overview of why we even give grades. And then along those lines, well, how do I actually get some physical evidence that my child earned a B in algebra one or earned a B in, you know, one of these grades. And that's where, you know, at the high school level, midterms and finals come in. I used to lean towards okay. just finals, but you know, go well, ahead. Let me, sorry. let me just push your, let me just push the envelope here. Um, what, what would you say would be a reason to give grades Again, as a high schooler, not we don't need to be, you know, comparing kids in elementary and middle school. And we also don't need a transcript in elementary and middle school. Um, so just referring to high school, what what would you say to people like myself um, who really, I mean, I, I think it would be great if my kids didn't go to college. Um, I, I think it would be great if they had a skill, a trade. Um, Obviously, if they have a passion, <clears throat> we're going to encourage that. If, if they want to become a doctor, well, you have to go to college. So great. We'll support that. So I'm not like bashing college, but what I am saying is, what would you say, is there a reason outside of transcripts and sort of having that um, po- touch point for like a reference as far as like, you know, the school of fish, um, is there another reason that we would want to grade our high schoolers? Um, for for its own sake. Well, so this reminds me of a debate that was happening in my university classes when I was going to um, university for teaching. Um, and they were mm-hmm. debating whether a student should be graded based on the mastery of the material or based on their improvement over the year. Okay. <clears throat> and I, I tend to believe that a student should be graded based on mastery, that if they 100% understand all the material, they get 100 that's obvious. If uh-huh. they know nothing, they get a zero. 
But then you had students who were incapable of understanding it to 100%. So then teachers were looking at it and saying, well, should we, should we, is it fair to us to give that child a grade of 75, even though we know that they could never, no matter how hard they tried, get a 90? What if when coming into the class, they would score a 30 or a 40, and then going out of the class, they've improved to scoring a 75? Shouldn't we be giving them, they had a 40 plus point improvement. Shouldn't we be giving them a really good grade for that improvement? Whereas somebody else who knew a lot coming into the class, say 80, and now is at 100, didn't improve as much. You know, like how do you reconcile that with the different students? And these are problems that we have, especially when teaching large groups of kids, right? When you've got the kid who comes into your classroom who understands some algebra already because they had a super strong free algebra class um, and right. they did all their homework and they really understood it before. And you've got the kid coming into algebra one who limped through pre-algebra and barely knows what X even means, right? <clears throat> like, how do you reconcile that when you have all these kids? So we have that. And then with homeschoolers, we look at it and go, well, if I give my child a grade, it's a comparison tool for colleges, but then for himself in his own way, is it a way of showing his improvement or his mastery of the material? Like, that's why I say it's super subjective. So I write out a grading policy for my homeschool and say, like, this is how I determine the grades for my students. That way, if a college or university is like, why did you give your son a B plus or why did you give him an A minus or whatever the point is? I would say, well, this is why I grade based on right. mastery of material. He took this much time to do the material. He worked really hard. He worked diligently. Math is not a strong suit, um, but he mastered the material to this level where he understood the majority of the work. Now, if you've been teaching to mastery all the way up to high school, then there's no reason for your student, unless he refuses to do the work, there's no reason for him to get anything below a C in high school because he's already got the habit of mastering the material. Right. So mastery of the material, I would say, is like an 80, 85%, which basically means they understand the material and they make a few mistakes, Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If they make a lot of mistakes, then they haven't really mastered the material yet. And if they make less mistakes because they're really comfortable with the material, which gets into the giftings of some children. Like I have some children who are really good at math, even though they don't like to admit it. And I have some kids who aren't. Those who are really good at math make a lot less mistakes because they're, they're building those habits and they've been wired to think of it a little differently. And they check their work and they make less mistakes. Therefore, they get a higher score. So Right. When I give the assessments to them, it's a, well, I just want to see how many mistakes you're making and what we need to work on. And then I grade you based on the mastery of the material and say, yep, you're doing really well. You're catching a lot of those little mistakes that other people would make. And um, there's a little more room for improvement. So it's not 100, but it's definitely above an 85. And then I just pick a number in there because by the time you've done that, it's there's really not like nobody's going to be like, why did you give them an 87 instead of an 89? You know, or why did you like any of right. that, like you're slicing hairs at that point. Your goal of doing that with your student is for you to say, this is how we get better at things in life. We create a situation where we are going to push ourselves to see how well we learned it. And then we're going to analyze it after and say, well, how did I do? How can I do better? Right. Mm -hmm. How do I, how do I move on past this? So that's, we do self-assessments all the time. Like if you are studying your, your Bible, you might after, a long time of doing it, you might volunteer to lead a Bible study, right? And if you lead a Bible study, when you're, when you get out of the Bible study, you're going to be thinking about, well, how did it go? 
what questions did I ask? What was the reception of the people right. that were there? How right. could I make it better next time? How can I pull these people out to really understand the word better? You know, what we're doing in that moment is self-assessment. That's what we're doing. Right. And so we want to give our right. kids some assessments for them to understand how to do that themselves, because that's part of growing in maturity, right? Is being able to analyze right. our performance and our mastery of something. So there is a benefit to assessment, but if you just hand your kid a test and you're like, you have to do this, and then you give them all this pressure of having to do it because they've never done it before, that's not what right. we want. We want them to see it as a challenge on one level, like, oh, a challenge, but also kind of a delight in the sense of I get to show how much I've learned of this material, right? right. I, get to, right. I get to show this, which I think is really neat. I'm, I'm trying to teach my kids the concept of teaching themselves something, so... Mm-hmm. This is how I don't really have a whole lot of study skills. I admit it right now. All right. It's on record. <laughs> I have terrible study skills. Are you listening, okay. kids? Children of Lori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My study skills are awful. If I was like, well, you need to study this. I'd, if someone said that to me, you need to study this. I'd be like, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. <sighs> um, but one of the things I used to do was I used to reteach myself the material in classes. Like that's the, all I found that worked for me was Mm-hmm. I would open my, I had an hour, an hour commute to college every single day. And so I would open my notes because I took notes in class. I'd open my notes and put them on the passenger seat. And I would look over and I would read like the heading of the first section of notes. And then I would drive and look at the road and pay attention to the road. And I would proceed to tell myself everything about that first thing on the heading. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to the next one and go to that. And I would work my way through those notes. And that was how I studied. That was how I retain the information. And it, and it happens to be very classical because rhetoric is the art of communicating well, right? And so rhetoric teaching is a rhetoric skill, is a rhetorical skill. So when right. we move through the material where we're taking in the material and then we're processing the material and then we're getting it to where we can actually output and share the material that we've already processed and make conclusions about it, we're in the rhetoric right. skill and we're essentially reteaching ourselves the material, right? Yeah. So would you advocate for the idea this? I'm just going to, I'm just asking this out <laughs> of sheer curiosity now that you've okay. got my brain sort of turning here. <laughs> would you advocate for the idea of um, testing involving the notes that your student took because note-taking is an essential part of um, learning. Like, would you would you advocate for that idea? Or are you a, no, when we do midterms, it's closed book, like you can't look at anything? Like, I, I, guess my, I guess what I'm trying to say is thinking about what we place importance on. Like, we, when we sit in church and we hear a sermon and, and there's, you know, he's expounding on, on a portion of scripture and we were sitting there and we're going, oh, I never, I, I don't think I knew that. Like, I, I don't think I understood this passage before until now. What do we do? Well, hopefully we're writing it down so that the next time we read that, we can reference back and be like, yeah, okay. So when I read this now, I can read this in sort of an enlightened way. So it's obviously a really good skill to have. Um, it, obviously, it also sort of is conducive to saying we are listening. Right. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, my husband, whenever he meets anyone, anyone at all, he writes their name down. 
because he doesn't want to just be like, oh, I'm going to, oh yeah, nice to meet you. And I'm not even going to put any effort or, or if I walk away, I'm going to forget what your name is, which happens to me all the time. It's like, I have to say to myself over and over again, okay, Linda, Linda, or whatever it is, you know? And I mean, but he just writes their name down and he's like, oh, what? then when he's like, oh, what's his name? He looks it up and he goes, okay, I want to remember that now. Like, so, so what's your approach to that as far as testing high schoolers? Do you place a higher value on their um, willingness to learn to learn, or do you place a higher value on? I know you said mastery is what you're you're depending or what you're uh, basing their grades on. So, which which is it? Either or, or is it both, or what? Ooh, that's such a good question. And this is a short podcast. No, okay. <laughs> like, I, I am so helpful. This. <laughs> it's both, Erica. I, I would say it's both. And this is why. I don't, uh, I don't define mastery as the regurgitation of information. Okay, good. That's helpful. I don't, That's really helpful. I don't, I'm I writing don't this down. Are you really? <laughs> oh, yes, goodness. I am. <laughs> so... When I talk to like my geometry students and I talk to, and I teach math. So obviously my focus is on math, but basically with any, with any subject, um, chemistry, this, well, chemistry is mostly math. So that doesn't even work. Um, Anyway, when I talk to them, yes, I want them to be able to tell me things about a triangle. Say I'm picking geometry. Okay. Things about a triangle and the different theorems about a triangle. And I want them to be comfortable with those theorems and I want them to be comfortable applying those theorems. But at the same time, I'm not going to insist that they memorize every single theorem out there. I mean, have you looked at Euclid's Elements? It is a significant size book or three-volume set, depending on on which one you want to get. So mm-hmm. I don't. I am less concerned with if they have the Pythagorean theorem memorized than if they know how to apply the Pythagorean theorem. Okay. <clears throat> so especially in mathematics, mastery of mathematics is not being able to regurgitate and calculate information. At the elementary level, to some level, it is, right? You want to know what three times five is, and they should be able to tell us that three times five is 15. Right. We get that, okay? Right. But when they get into the high school level, math shifts from the right side of your brain to the left side of your brain. And it becomes a problem-solving focus it becomes a okay this is what the whole purpose of word problems is by the way it becomes a you know the hard part about this problem isn't actually calculating them the information it's actually figuring out how to organize the information so that you can calculate it that's the hard part and you can't put that in a book in a way that a a kid could essentially cheat on a test so for my kids a lot of times i would say the book is here and it's available to you during your midterm if you want to use it. I would say that to them. However, they're going to okay. eat up a lot of time, especially if they've never had to do this before. They're going to eat up a lot of time looking through that book for things that are not in there because there's right. they're not going to find the answer to the problem in the book. And they're not necessarily going to find a step-by-step process as to how to do something. Now, they might be able to get to review something really quickly. But they're limited on time, right? So it might even create anxiety in a student to look at a 400-page math book and be like, I can look at this book during my midterm to get the answers. It's not a magical formula, people. The book right. is a tool. Right. Um, it's one of the reasons why in a lot of math classes, a lot of math teachers will allow students to have a note card of notes where they'll yep. say, hey, you can have a three-by-five note card or a half-a-page note card of information 
for your test. Basically, the goal being that the student would take time before the test to look through the 400 pages in the book and write down those theorems and properties that they aren't 100% comfortable with so right. that they have essentially what they would need out of the book for the test without having right. to have the entire book. That makes sense. And that's sort of, um, that is developed if you start really young with your kids in narration. It's right. being able to say, hey, I read this, you know, 50-page story, and I can just tell you the gist of it. They're, we're not asking them to pair it back to us word for word what they read. We're asking them, so what is Charlotte's Web about? Who, right. what are, were the characters like? Who did you like? Like you're, you're teaching them to sort of shrink things down to a chewable size, essentially. So that, exactly. that makes sense. Exactly. And in, in taking the U.S. history example, like would I let my U.S. history student have his notes during a U.S. history exam? I would. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, because my high school U.S. history student is not getting a test for me that says things like, what year did the Revolutionary War start? Those are not questions right. I'm testing my high school student for. Okay, my high school student should be in the skill of rhetoric, which means I'm asking essay questions. Compare the cause of the Revolutionary War with the cause of the, of the Civil War. Boom, right. done. They can use their notes to get information for comparing those two items, but their notes are mm -hmm. not going to give them the answer. They exactly. have to formulate an answer from their notes. That's the skill we're trying to create in our students. And that child will be able to walk out of that U.S. history room talking to anybody about either one of those wars because they had right. to read through it and, and, and put together an essay on it. So those are the, right, like when exactly. I when I give a U.S. history midterm or final, there's like four questions on the entire thing and they're all essay questions, every single one of them. Right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because our, our um, this is probably just to compare because I like to compare things with, you know, super, super deep things. Um, uh, it just makes me think of like, this is, legalism, right, versus um, a full understanding of the gospel. And I mean, this comes into play, like, this is what we see, we, this is what we saw, any of us who went to public school, this is what we saw. It was, remember this this week for the test, and then eliminate it from your mind. Because mm -hmm. all they're asking for is just, um, really, I mean, Knowing the general time frame of the Revolutionary War is helpful. We know that it was not in the 1970s. That makes a difference. I mean, all of these things, they do make a difference. However, they're not the case in point. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of the similar idea that, like, it, we are making a mistake if we try to cram details into our kid's head, which really... For the most part, as as far as like an understanding of history, as far as an understanding of of the gospel, are arbitrary. Like it's great that you can say, "Oh, here are," you know, I don't know. Like here are the main characters um, that Paul was talking to in the Ephesian church. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you can say that from memory. But what was the what was the message he was giving the church at Ephesus? Right. Like, this is the point. We should be able to teach our kids how to take in information, and some of them will remember every single detail. 
I mean, I loved details when I was a kid. Um, and I love, you know, music, musical, make songs up, remembering all the years and all the things. Well, that's great. But that's not like if your kid can tell you that what year Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but they can't tell you why he left. They can't tell you anything that went on during that journey, um, what happened when he landed, what his motives were, what his interaction. Like, if you can't even identify the point, then right. really we've failed our kids. Like, right. Exactly. Great job. They know the year. They don't know anything else. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, how many, how many U.S., how many United States citizens know the year that the Revolutionary War started? but can't tell you anything about the constitution. Right. Like if right. I asked you, and they you, have all their know, characters mixed up. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. If, if I asked you like, Oh, well, 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 what brought about the constitution and why did we have a constitution and when did it come? I, I'm, a, I'm actually really afraid to ask that question because uh-huh. I don't think people know. They don't know, but they could tell you the revolutionary war started in 1776 which is bogus right, because right. the first shot was fired before that and the actual battles didn't happen until after. So, But they know how to pair it. They know how to pair it because yeah. this is the way you've been taught. If you've been taught to just, you know, scan, scan scrolling information in front of your eyes and then be able to write it down and then get a good grade because you wrote it all down accurately, then, then you're, you've succeeded. Right. And I mean, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it's set up. Mm-hmm. Right. And but, so, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. All of these, all of these things, actually understanding the Revolutionary War, having a general grasp on the war actually enables us to say, well, I don't know what year that started. Well, when would that have been? Well, let's see what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can actually like ballpark it pretty well. <laughs> like knowing the year is not going to make or break your knowledge here, but you can also probably arrive there using the real information, you know, if that makes right. sense. That's true. And I mean, let's just think about technology wise and then we need to wrap this up. But um, mm-hmm. if, if I didn't, if I could not remember the year the revolutionary war started, I could Google that in the first solution. The first thing that pops up would be 1776. Um, but right. if I couldn't remember all of the facets that caused the revolutionary war to happen, that's like mm-hmm. hours of, of research that I would have to do in order to, to get. And if you just Google that, somebody. yeah. And if you just <laughs> Google that, like what, why did the revolutionary war? I mean, you could get, I'm going to get everything. A million different worldviews. You could get, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Right. It's crazy. So yeah. Learning. So we have to be learning. For real. All that to say, I do encourage doing assessments at the high school level that that get our students to have a grade, even if it's just enough for them to say, oh, I really need to focus on this more. I need to focus on that more, you know, but I do right. also look at it and say, OK, but our assessment and I'm going to this is the last thing I'm going to say, I promise our assessment <sighs> needs to be testing for our students competency with the material and encouraging mm-hmm. them to go further with the material. Think about it. If we go back to my U.S. history example, that a U.S. history midterm might have three or four essay questions on it. Right. If, if, if I know as the teacher that my student's midterm is going to have four essay questions on it, 
And I do what a lot of public school teachers in materials do, which is teach to the test so that my students do well. What is my teaching going to look like if I'm teaching my child to do well on a four essay question test? Right. It's going to look right. the same as it does now, right? It's yeah. going to look like mastery of a material instead of being like all those SAT class preps I see where it's like, oh, well, you know that this question, this number has to end in a zero. So, you know, it's not option B or C. And you know that it's going to be this, so you know it's not option A. And so it's option D. And it's like, you didn't actually have to know anything about the material to get that answer. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Well, this has been super helpful. I'm really glad I could derail <laughs> you completely, too. That was really good. I like to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. So um, what's one question, Erica, because I'm going to end this with this question. What's one question... You're going to ask your your kids, not your students, because your students are your kids, and they're the same. You're going to ask your kids after we get off the phone here to see how they're doing in one of their subjects. Like, what's one thing that you're like, oh, I'm going to ask my child about this, or I'm going to ask my child about Oh, I'll tell you this. what I want to so ask them, them, but they're going to roll their eyes. <laughs> I'm going to say to them, because this, this is my favorite class that we do together, um, is... Um, where, where do we see the covenant in the book of Genesis? Where do we see this brought out? I mean, this has been our theme. So Which this is covenant? what we talk about when we, well, when we read, well, the covenant that gets passed down generation to generation and ultimately, I mean, right. Jesus comes in a covenantal promise. He adopts us right. into a covenant. So it's really a, it's really a continuous covenant. Um, um, this has been our theme since we've been reading Genesis. It's like, I don't need them to remember um, which children Lot had with which daughter. <laughs> like, I don't need them right. to remember that. You don't need to remember that. <laughs> so, I don't know. That would, that would be the thing. I would ask, hey, guys, do you remember what the covenant promises that we've been reading about in Genesis? Because it's been passed down now at this point to three people. Yeah, so, no if they can remember that, they'll have a pretty good grasp of the first two thirds of Genesis. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, see, that's awesome. I like to um, to ask my kids questions that I don't know the answers to. Mm-hmm. So, um, like my my youngest son is doing this ancient history science book, which is actually really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. I have to share it with you what it is, but. He's doing it in our co-op and I am not reading it with him. I read the first chapter or two with him and he's reading it himself. And so now I, I just like to ask him like, Hey dude, you know, tell me about what are you reading about in science these days? And he will go off on like, well, we're reading about how um, Hippocrates did this test and he did this. And then we did this experiment and he just goes on and on and on. And he basically regurgitates all of the preceding chapters. And I'm just like, this is so delightful to learn ancient history science this way. <laughs> Forget the book. I just want to hear nice. him tell me it. You know, so that's something. Yeah, exactly. Although now I'm thinking I need to go write an essay question for my oldest son. <laughs> we can do a midterm. <laughs> Poor kid. The work begins over and over that's again. That's right. <laughs> Yes. Now I need to get them to enjoy it. That's what we should talk about next week. How do we get our kids to enjoy what they're doing? Uh, I would love. I would love for you to answer that question for me. Yeah, I would. I would love to have an answer for you on that one. <laughs> we'll have to figure it out. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for another Friday conversation. I hope this was 
helpful, even if it wasn't as funny as, as I would like it to be. But it's assessment. It's a serious topic. <laughs> <laughs>